The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Now, on that same day when Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted the the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Karl Barth, one of the top Christian theologians of the 20th century, was on a streetcar in his home city of Basel, Switzerland, one day when a tourist climbed on the car and sat beside him. They started chatting. Is this your first visit to Basel, Barth inquired. Yes, said the tourist. Is there anything in particular you'd like to see or do? Bart asked, yes, he said, I'd love to meet the famous theologian Karl Barth. <laughs> do you know him? Well, as a matter of fact, I do, Bart said. I, I give him a shave every morning. <laughs> Tourist was delighted. Walking back to his hotel, he shook his head in wonder and disbelief and said to himself, what were the odds I met Karl Barth's barber?
I, by the way, make no claims to that being a true story. I told it anyway because it reminds me of something that the Bible said was true and was true more than once on the first Easter. And I'm talking about the fact multiple times that people saw and talked to the person they would have given anything to see and talk to again, but they didn't realize it was happening even while it was happening. So, says John's gospel, was the case for Mary Magdalene when she went to the tomb and she saw a man she assumed not to be a barber but a gardener early that Easter morning. And so, too, says our reading from Luke's gospel today, was the case for a man named Cleopas and his companion, whose name we aren't ever told, on that first Easter late afternoon when they met and visited with a man whom they proceeded to assume was so clueless about current events that he must have been living under a rock or something the last three days, which, of course, it turns out he kind of had. Although he was far from clueless about current events, indeed, he was about to clue them in regarding the mother of all events, past, current, or future. And so, writes Luke, on that Easter day, sometime after that Easter morning, that Easter morning when the disciples had been huddled together in fearful and disillusioned grief, only to be interrupted by by too many women even to name correctly or count correctly, who came barging into the room and babbling about angels, preaching sermons about Jesus being risen from the dead, which, of course, the men knew could only mean one thing, and that is these women in their grief had gone off the deep end. They were now preaching sermons written in fantasy land. Peter, at least, it says, did go to check things out, and he went to the tomb, and he saw that one thing that the women had said was, in fact, true. There were linen cloths in the tomb, but there was no body, which, of course, could only mean to Peter that he had no idea what was going on. And so Luke says that Peter decided it was time to just go home. It's interesting because he doesn't say what that means. Uh, we know that Peter's hometown was Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, a hundred miles north, northeast from where he was. I'm not against the thought that, that in fact, by this point, Peter was heading to Capernaum, a hundred miles north, northeast, that he'd just seen enough, and it was time to get out of Dodge. And he started out that direction until he was interrupted by an Easter interruption that Luke doesn't give us any details about, but he's going to tell us, he's going to mention it later in kind of hindsight, and that Easter interruption is going to turn him from his journey home 180 degrees, not just for the rest of that day, but for the rest of his life. Hold the thought of that in mind. We'll come back to it later. So anyway, it's after all of that, says our text, starting at Luke 24, 13, that two others who had met Jesus and heard Jesus and saw Jesus and started following Jesus and had also pinned their highest hopes on Jesus decided it was time for them to go home too. But Luke tells us where home was for them. It was a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And on the way, says Luke, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. I would think so. And says Luke, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself 
came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Who or what exactly do you suppose was it that was keeping their eyes from recognizing him? Was it Jesus disguising himself somehow? Was it God blinding them somehow? Was it grief blurring their vision somehow? Was it the fact that us humans can literally have our brain receive data from our eyes but then virtually instantly convert it in our thinking into an image of something we expected to see rather than see something we didn't expect, maybe even something we couldn't even have imagined. I don't know. It doesn't say. So any of the above or a combination of the above could have played into the fact that there came Jesus to walk with them and to talk with them. And they had not a clue. And he said to them, what were you discussing while you were walking along? And they stopped and they looked at them, at him. And one of them, it says, whose name was Cleopas, said, Dude, seriously? <laughs> it's a tiny bit of loose translation. Uh, <laughs> what the NRSV says Cleopas actually said was, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in Jerusalem in these last days? And I do think there's some sarcasm in his voice as he says that, as he's thinking to himself, just how blind and clueless can a person be? Which means I think this scene at this moment is actually kind of ironically amusing for a second as the one who accuses somebody else of being blind and clueless about stone-cold reality is in fact blind and clueless and out of touch with God's brand new reality. Jesus doesn't return sarcasm for sarcasm. He says, what things? And they reply, and I, it says they reply, and I'm not, I'm not imagining that they're, they're in unison. I'm picturing kind of, you know, talking over each other, sort of stepping on a tag team kind of reply. As they say, Luke says, do they together reply, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Of course, the hymn they're referring to here is hymn's body in the grave, which maybe is part of the reason, those expectations that I do think are part of the reason that in this moment they, they, did, they saw no body, at least no body they knew standing right in front of their noses right now, risen from the grave. By the way, there, it's hard to imagine very many or find very many verses in the Bible that are much sadder than Luke 24, 21, where, where Luke and Cleopas and his friend, whose name nobody knows, say to this stranger, who in their eyes is nobody they know, our chief priests handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified, which is all terribly sad, but then it gets sadder as they say, but we had hoped. 
that he was the one to redeem Israel. There, there aren't a lot of things much sadder than getting your hopes as high as they've ever been in your entire life and then having those hopes ripped from your heart. And in this case, uh, nailed to a cross and laid in a tomb. Luke twenty four twenty five. Jesus said, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared One commentator I read this week said that he thinks it's it's both because of the context and because of the grief. He suggests that those seemingly harsh words from Jesus could actually be understood in kind of term of endearment fashion as with kind of an Easter twinkle in his eye. He says, oh, you sweet dummies. (laughs) How could you miss this? And then says Luke, he continues, was it not necessary that the prophet should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Sisters and brothers, I want to tell you, I would swap every Bible study I've ever taught or sat in on to have been present for this one walking Bible study from Jerusalem to Emmaus, as Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. A friend of mine suggested that according to his research and understanding, Jesus interpreting all of the places in the Old Testament that that Christians can, anyway, understand as pointing to Jesus or referring to Jesus would be a total of of 322 separate passages or verses, which gets me thinking that he must have hooked up with these guys very early on the trip and that they also probably walked pretty slow. But then this walking Bible study drew to an end, and Luke writes, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day's now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture to us? And that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. This was no doubt a way faster trip than the way out had been. And they found the eleven and their companions together. They, meaning the eleven, were saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And remember how I told you earlier that Simon Peter had headed for home but did a 180 for some reason or another? Here's here's why. The Lord has risen indeed, the 11 told Cleopas and somebody, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they, they being Cleopas and somebody, told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's interesting, as we heard last week, it wasn't just 
doubting Thomas. It was all the disciples who, when they first heard that Jesus was risen from the dead, they did not believe it. They doubted it. They didn't believe a single thing those women had said, whether it was saying they saw him alive or saying they saw angels who said it was alive. It all fell on disbelieving ears. And then come those two in today's text, Cleopas and and whoever, who are now seen to be not just deaf, but blind to that reality, even when he came and walked with them and talked with them, risen from the dead. Still he came to the doubting, to the unbelieving, to the blind, to these two, Cleopas and whoever, literally to be with them. But as I said, in the case of these two, him literally being risen from the dead and literally coming, literally to be with them is literally literally still not enough for them to see him. So, so he keeps coming by making himself known with even more than his physical presence. And how does he do that? In the breaking of the bread which, by the way, was an early, early Christian designation for Holy Communion. Which is to say that between the Bible study on the road and the meal around the table, one thing this story clearly says is something Luther, for one, totally believed and said over and over and over again, and that is that the risen Christ comes to his people most clearly through word and sacrament the holy gospel taught and proclaimed, the water of baptism poured out, the bread and wine of holy communion handed out. With that in mind, I wonder, I don't have anybody to back me up on this, I'm just wondering, if the reason Luke never names the name of whoever it was with Cleopas and Jesus that day could could possibly be because he or she wasn't someone from that day. I wonder if there's any possibility that unnamed someone might possibly have been Luke's way of writing us, you and me, into the story. You and I who, when we gather around word and sacrament, maybe we see him. But then again, maybe we're blind. Maybe we're sure of him. But then again, maybe we doubt Maybe we believe in him more than we believe in anything. But then again, maybe we don't. And maybe, maybe, you and I being real us's in a real world, maybe at one time or another, maybe at the very same time sometimes, we are all of the above. And so, and so he comes. And he keeps coming to all of the above in the word, and in the breaking of the bread. And why does he come even when we real life us's are both deaf and blind? Sometimes he comes because he promised. And if Easter proves anything to us, it is that ours is a Savior who keeps his promises. Promises like, this is my body, this is my blood, this is me. And promises like the promise, I am with you always. With you always. 
whether you see him or whether you don't. Whether in your heart it's Easter and you're running to Jerusalem or whether it's not and you're running home. With you, always, whether you believe in him or whether you don't. Because why? Because, oh, us sweet dummies. How could we miss this? He promised. And he keeps his promises. Amen.